Visit the Zoo with your host, author Frederick Fishman. And hello and welcome to another episode of Visit the Zoo. This is episode number 006. And I am your host. My name is Frederick Fishman. On this episode number 006, where we talk about all things animals and visit the zoo. And I hope all of you are doing okay. Whether you're listening on your computer at home or your Android phone or your Apple phone. Whether you're 30,000 feet in the air above the middle of the country in Kansas or you're on a hiking trail or exercise bike or even hiking around your neighborhood. Welcome. I think we've got a fairly interesting show today on this podcast, and we're going to talk about the animals, of course. All of that is being drawn from my uh, 120 Animal 12 book uh, series, Visit the Zoo, which you can get on ebook or print book, and I've done some audiobooks too, and as well as the first uh, DVD, video DVD, has been released recently. And I also want to say that in between... Um, Doing these podcasts and doing the recording, I do some thinking of what else can I deliver to you and make this interesting. And, and I think I'm going to kind of open up the uh, the back door a little bit and, and show you some of the things that go into all of this. I, I've taken hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of still images in preparation for the book and put them into the books. Also, a lot of video to the DVD. I put all of that into one big bucket. And I think what I want to do is make all those, uh, the ones that are that are in focus, of course, and the ones that are decent, available to you so you can look at all those hundreds of photos that I've taken. I think I'm going to open up a uh, an account. There are a lot of different libraries where I can put this into. I think I used SmugMug before SmugMug.com, and I'm going to open up an account soon and dump all those pictures for you that you can take a look at. Well, we usually start off with a news story, and I'm going to get to that in just a second, but also remind you that I've got a website for all things visit the zoo that is at zooanimals.info again that's zooanimals.info and you can get links to the books and the audiobooks and the dvd This is where we usually talk about news for animals and what's going on in the animal world and what's going on in the zoo world. A couple of these articles are kind of amazing. Again, it just I have all these dumped into my email account through a Google alert that I've got. And some of them are just astonishing and some of them are sweet and cute. And we'll get to three of them today. And the first thing I want to talk about is an article that was not dropped into my Google alert mailbox. This is, again, from our daily rag here, the Arizona Daily Star here in Tucson. And it's about the red pandas that are going to be on exhibit for a short time this winter, which really isn't winter here in Tucson. Usually it's in the 70s, but they've announced that the red pandas will be on a temporary exhibit here at the Reed Park Zoo. Let me tell you a little bit about the red panda first. The first thing I'll say at the beginning, and I'll repeat it again, is that they are so cute. They, They really are. They are, they're not pandas, by the way. They originate in that area of the world, in China, in India, in the Himalayas. They're about 11, excuse me, 20 to 25 inches long, and their tail is another 11 to 23 inches, and the males weigh between 8.2 and 13.7 pounds, and the females usually are not quite as heavy. They're they're lighter. Beautiful brown, 
red fur with a cute little face tufted with white ears. The fur is a a reddish-brown color, and the tail is striped. And the interesting thing about these animals is they're so endangered. There's less than 10,000 remaining in the entire world. And that's not including the several hundred rare panda exhibits in zoos around the world, but there's only 10,000. And the problem is their habitat is being threatened. Deforestation occurs, and these animals live in the trees. They have fewer and fewer spots to live. They have a diet of small mammals. They like to eat small birds and eggs and flowers and berries. The thing about these animals is they're they're still hunted. As their habitat is shrinking, they're still being hunted. And they're being hunted mainly not for the meat, but for the fur. One practice in China where a lot of people use the tail of these beautiful animals and put them on hats, and it's considered good luck. It's just, a, it's really kind of sad. The article says that visitors to the Reed Park Zoo are in for a special treat. Red pandas will be coming to Arizona for the first time. The endangered red pandas will be in their new habitat from November through March. Reed Park Zoo is working with the the AZA, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and other accredited zoos to bring two pandas to Tucson while their permanent habitat in Utah is being prepared. People are asked to follow the Reed Park Zoo on Facebook and check the website for more information. It's a sad story, I guess. I got this online. I've got a writer by the name of Alicia Gray, dated October the 8th. 2017. And the article starts out by saying the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, is now going to have to defend renewing a license to a troubled roadside zoo in Iowa that has a long history of animal welfare violations. The Cricket Hollow Animal Park, formerly known as Cricket Hollow Zoo, has been in the spotlight in recent years over its failure to properly care for numerous species it holds captive. According to the Legal Defense, excuse me, the Animal Legal Defense Fund, the USDA renewed the zoo's license on the very same day, on the same day it was issued 11 violations of the Animal Welfare Act in 2014. And ongoing problems were acknowledged by the agency long before that. By 2015, the zoo had been cited for over 100 violations during five years including inadequate staffing and sanitary facilities and poor veterinary care. And still, they got a license from the USDA, and it was renewed. Unfortunately, a judge ruled that the, in the USDA's favor when it was taken to court because the agency does not require compliance as a prerequisite for license renewals. It's obvious, there's a quote here, that licensees cannot be trusted to police themselves, and it is the responsibility of the USDA to ensure compliance. The ALDF appealed and the U.S. District Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia just agreed that the USDA cannot renew an exhibitor license to a zoo if it knows it's violating the AWA, which overturns a previous dismissal of the case. So, the latest win follows two other successful lawsuits brought by the Animal Welfare Defense League against Cricket Hollow Animal Park. In the end, the story is, I think these people didn't get their license from the USDA. So, And we'll end this with one uh, really quick story. This is dated October the 27th. It's about the parents in Edgecombe County in North Carolina didn't have to go far to take their children to the zoo. More than 20 children got to see, touch, and pet several common and mostly exotic animals at its it's a zoo life located in North Carolina, off North Carolina 
Highway Number 42 in Pine Tops. The outing was part of the Edgecombe County Memorial Library's Tarboro and Pine Tops branches sensory playdate groups, which allowed the children a hands-on exploration of the zoo while incorporating the five senses. Jabin Grant, Shumi Jabari Grant, age four, said he had fun at the zoo. It was great, he said. I like when the kangaroos hop. Crystal Sessoms, director of the Hitchcomb County Memorial Library, said the sensory playdate group was an initiative she started this year at the library that happens bi-weekly. It started in September and will end this year. So that's good. The children are being exposed to the animals early. And when you're up close to the animals like that and you see them and you can look them in the eyes or touch their fur or have them look into your eyes, then you have a connection with the animal world that really stays with you for the rest of your life. All right, we come to the part of the uh, podcast here where it's time to put your thinking cap on. And I'm going to play for you three animal sounds. And let's see if you can guess what they are. We'll take a a little break and do a couple other things. And then we'll come back to it. And then I'll give you the answer of what those animals are that you listen to. These animal sounds are short. And I'll play them for you a couple times to make sure that you know what, what they are. Okay, here we go. Here is the first one. It almost sounds like static, doesn't it? Let me play it for you one more time. Okay, here's animal sound number two. That may be kind of an easy one, but let me play it a few more times at least. One more time. All right, and here is, I bet you, 100% of you can guess what this is. Now, is that irritating or what? Let's listen to it again. Mm Mm-hmm, lovely. Okay, we'll get to the answers here very shortly. And as I said at the top of the podcast, I put together 12 books with 120 animals. And in each one of the books, I describe in a little more detail than what I'm giving to you here. A little bit about the animals' lives, where they live, their anatomy, how they live, how long they live, and their status as far as their numbers on the planet. And today, we're going to drop in a segment from one of those 120 animals where you can hear a little bit about spider monkeys. These cute little things are found in most zoos around the world. So listen to a little bit about the spider monkey. Spider monkeys. Moving to another nearby enclosure takes us away from Africa and to Central and South America to look at these small mammals. The spider monkey lives in the Americas in ever-shrinking habitat. In fact, it is considered critically endangered as deforestation occurs with the growth of human farming. The males weigh around 24 pounds and females about 21 pounds. The most interesting physical feature is their tail. It acts almost like a fifth limb, an additional arm or leg. It's about three feet long and allows the spider monkey to grasp limbs as they swing easily through the trees. Their diet is 90% fruits and nuts, making their brains a bit larger. 
Scientists think that this is because they need a larger brain capacity to remember where those fruits and nuts are so they can continually go back to find them. They live to be about 20 years old and then they are diurnal, which means they sleep at night. But here is some behavior from these guys that should give you pause. When humans approach, they can screech or growl. They shake nearby tree limbs and even may break one off. They don't throw it at humans, but they may let it drop to the ground in front of the humans to scare that human intruder off. But here is disturbing behavior. Sometimes, if a human approaches, they will either try to defecate or urinate on that intruder. It's best if you don't approach the spider monkey. You agree, yes? Yeah, I can, I can reiterate what I said about the spider monkey. I don't know which zoo I was at, what city it was when I was doing the research for my books, but I went up to this spider monkey habitat and there were some people looking at him and giggling and ooing and eyeing. And sure enough, one of the spider monkeys got right next to the, right next to the, to the wire there and uh, looked at the people down below them. And Spider Monkey uh, relieved itself and just sprayed all over the place. And everybody got a, uh, a rude awakening there to stay away from Spider Monkey. So I've actually seen that behavior. Okay, let's go back to the, uh, to the animal sounds. Let's play the first one again, and then I'll tell you a little bit about it. Okay, here it comes. One more time. What you're hearing there is the sound that a bat makes. They, they are mammals, and they are highly maneuverable flyers. They really are. There's probably about 1,200 separate species of bats. They're, they're, they're very numerous. They 70% of their diet, insects, and another 30% fruit. The vampire bats, which everybody probably knows about, they do drink blood, and I have seen video of them, night video of them, resting on uh, herds of cattle and taking a drink. The smallest bat is known as the hog-nosed bat. That's the full title. It's 1.14 inches in length and has a wingspan of 6 inches. Now compare that to the Petropus bat, which weighs 4 pounds and has a wingspan of 5 feet 7 inches. So the smallest has a wingspan of 6 inches and the largest has a wingspan of 5 feet 7 inches. They are considered to have rabies. Most of them do. Being bitten by one is not a good idea. And they're the only mammal that can truly fly. There are some soaring mammals like there are squirrels in the Amazon that can glide from tree to tree, but these are the only ones that can actually fly. And some can fly as fast as 100 miles per hour. The Mexican fruit-tailed bat flies that fast. They find prey and insects by echolocation like radar. That's the pulse that you were hearing in that. And well, let me play that again. That This is their echolocation. 
And what happens is they send out a signal, an audio signal like radar, and they listen for the return bounce. And they calculate in their little brains very quickly the distance and size of what it is they're going after. They can catch these very rapidly and very quickly as well. They can and do hibernate to preserve energy, so that's why you see them hanging around. Probably here in this country, the most famous conglomeration of bats can be found under the Congress Street Bridge in Austin, Texas. And it's a nightly ritual that as sunset occurs at that Congress Street Bridge, millions of these bats take to the air. And as the dying light fades, you can see just huge cloud filling the sky of these bats as they go out to hunt for the night. And people come from all around the world to take a look at this a nightly event. Let's go to the next animal now and hear this sound. Let me play it for you one more time. And that is a seal or a pinniped. It's widely distributed in semi-aquatic marine waters. It's a mammal. There are 33 species. They're about 3 feet 3 inches, 99 pounds in weight, but they can get up to 16 feet in length and weigh as much as 7,100 pounds, and that's the elephant seal that's so large. If you've ever seen them swimming in water or have seen underwater photography and documentaries, you can see how agile and flexible they are. But on land, they're somewhat cumbersome. They use their front limbs for propulsion in the water, and they prefer the colder waters in the northern and southern hemisphere. A few of them feed on penguins and other seals, but mostly they eat fish. Their meat and blubber has been used for centuries by the Arctic indigenous peoples, but they're now protected by international law. That's the seal. Next one, like I said earlier, I, I would bet that you probably know what this animal is. Yeah, these are pigs. You know them and probably have had them on your dinner table as as uh, chops or bacon. They're well known in the mammal world and of course they're used by humans for a lot of different purposes in a lot of different countries, uh, mainly for food. There's around a billion, it's a billion with a B, alive at any one time. And they are the largest population of domesticated animals in the world. They're often used for medical research because their DNA is somewhat close to humans. Sorry, humans. And they're, like I said, raised basically domestically for meat. And that's long ago. is 13,000 years ago when they started to become dinner or breakfast. They have small little fat little legs and they have small lungs too. And that makes them susceptible to pneumonia and bronchitis. And scientists have discovered pigs are either optimists or pessimists and they did that through testing and i read about how they did that where they tested to see which bowl of food they would go to and didn't quite understand it but yeah you know it's kind of amazing that they were able to determine that if that was correctly determined Let's go to the last part of our podcast today, and usually here I read a poem or I read some quotes. And today I'm going to read a poet. Her name is Zara Silistra. The poem that she wrote is called A Butterfly Life. As a caterpillar sleeps inside its cocoon, like a baby wrapped in her blanket, she waits and waits until she blooms into a beautiful new life. With wings of deep sapphire blue, she takes her first flight, soaring high into the clear 
cornflower sky. She flutters over to perch on the pink flowers, to sip the sweet nectar of pure gold. But this butterfly is daintier than a ballerina, like a leaf in the wind, but controlled, so delicate and fragile, but so free, so free, this butterfly will always be. Well, we've come just about to the end of it here, and I want to thank you very much for joining us on this episode 006 for the Visit the Zoo podcast. We'll be back again next week, and we'll have more animal sounds and another description for another animal. And I'll just give you a little heads up. We're going to discuss the meerkat next week, which is, of course, known around the world. even had a television series about meerkat. We'll discuss that, plus some of the other 120 animals in the in my audio books and in my print DVD, my latest DVD that was just released, some more news and another poem. So please join us next week and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I think you'll like what we've got coming up too. And remember the website for our Visit the Zoo journey here is at zooanimals.info. That's zooanimals.info. Take care. We'll see you next week.